This is Gene Lance on the Workers Beat Extra. I hope you're interested in Texas history, and I hope you're interested in finding out what really happened. This is a book review of Gerald Horn's new book, The Counter-Revolution of 1836, Texas Slavery and Jim Crow and the Roots of U.S. Fascism, published by International Publishers in 2022, and you can get a copy from Amazon Books. It's soft cover, so it's not too awfully expensive. University of Houston professor Gerald Horn has created a book that must be read. I wholeheartedly recommend it, even though it's not an easy read. I believe that in Texas history, there is a long-awaited tendency toward truth. Many of us studying Texas history have only seen the bleached and romanticized version. In this one, all of the so-called founders, all the so-called Texas revolutionaries were great romantic heroes, Davy Crockett and Jim Bowie and the father of Texas. In that version, they're all saints and heroes. But if you read it and you read it all the way through, you must know that it's not true because when they get to the point of establishing the Texas Republic and write their constitution, it prominently features slavery. Slavery, in fact, was what they were after all along. You see, the Mexicans didn't allow slavery, and all these white settlers were just dying to uh, make slavery legal in this property. One could make the case that that's all there was to it, and that's probably not true. The main thing driving those settlers was to steal land, not only from Mexico, but to steal it from the Native Americans who were there first. So stealing the land and establishing slavery can be seen as the motivation for the so-called revolutionary heroes of Texas. Most of us have only seen the bleached and romantic version. Everyone who can read knows this isn't true because they established slavery in their very first constitution. In fact, Texas slavery was more harsh than slavery elsewhere in a legal sense and in practice. As far as I know, the new Texas histories gradually lead up to the truth and they don't actually denounce any of the so-called Texas heroes until they get to the end of the book. In other words, they make a case, and then they explain it, and then they say, maybe these guys weren't as great as you thought. Gerald Horn, in his new book, starts where the other books leave off. He starts by saying that the founders of Texas are rat-fink land grabbers devoted to genocide for the natives and enslavement for Africans, and that that was their goal from the very beginning. The so-called father of Texas, Mr. Austin, wasn't a saint trying to find homes for poor settlers. He was a slave owner himself. He worked constantly and consistently to overcome his host country's ban 
against slavery. He was the slaveocracy's front man. The ones who followed him were no less committed to slavery and much more bloodthirsty in its pursuit. As for the natives, Texans had only two ideological trends. There were a few liberals who wanted to put all of the natives into Bantusland reservations, as they did with blacks in apartheid South Africa. But the majority of Texans, including President Mirabeau Lamar, after whom we name all our streets and some of our towns, the majority of Texans wanted to kill every last one of them. They were for genocide. They wanted to murder the natives. Mexican-Americans received a little more consideration, but not much more. And as for the heroic Texas Rangers, they were nothing more than an equestrian version of Murder Incorporated. From the first white settlers until modern times, Texas history is a story of lynching and genocide. For good measure in this book, Gerald Horn throws in some little-known truths about Oklahoma and the states that were created after the greatest land grab in history, which is usually known as the Mexican War. That's when the United States picked up New Mexico, Arizona, Idaho, Colorado, California. That made it the greatest land grab in history. Most white Texans supported secession from Mexico in 1836. Many of them coveted even more Mexican land. They also wanted Central America. There was a big movement to establish slave states in Central America, and Texans supported that idea. They eventually, reluctantly, agreed to join the United States only because their financial situation had gotten so bad. When they did join the United States, they didn't stay long, and nearly all white Texans supported seceding from the Union over the slavery issue in 1860. To their credit, some of the German settlers didn't, and they were around Fredericksburg, near in the San Antonio area, and several of the states in North Texas, in fact, all of the states north, directly north of Dallas and Tarrant counties, not including Dallas and Tarrant counties. All of those states voted against secession, but that was only a total of eight or 10 states that voted against secession. The rest of the uh, eight or 10 counties voted against secession. The rest of Texas voted enthusiastically for secession. And they supported the Confederacy more than any other state except possibly Virginia. More Texans volunteered to fight. More Texans fought on when the, everybody else was ready to quit. And they were quite upset when General Lee surrendered. And a lot of Texans moved to Mexico where they supported the French imperialist forces under the so-called Emperor Maximilian because they hoped to restart the Civil War 
after they got France on their side. In other words, they thought they could get France into a war with the United States and get the former Confederacy to restart the Civil War and maybe reestablish slavery that way. There was a problem with trying to work with Mexico and France to establish slavery because Mexico and France did not support slavery. But the, certainly the former Confederates from Texas gave it a heck of a try. The total destruction of former Texas histories is one reason that this book, The Counter-Revolution of 1836, is hard reading. Texas history as we have known it is deservedly turned inside out, and all the people we thought were great heroes were monsters. So that's a little hard to read. The other reason that it's hard to read comes from Gerald Horn's writing style. He is, after all, a professor. He's not one of the common folks writing for common uh, consumption. A few pages into this 575-page book, the reader starts hoping that Gerald Horn will run out of obscure pejoratives and obscure adjectives to describe the early Texans, but he doesn't. He rarely employs a sentence that wouldn't diagram as compound complex. Because he has assembled so many quotes from so many sources, he hopscotches from one to the other, often in the same paragraph. He hopscotches so quickly that it's not always easy to remember what point he was making. There's a tremendous lot of information in this book, and the list of resources is really very impressive. However, I did not find Randolph Campbell's book, An Empire for Slavery, which I reviewed some time ago. Randolph Campbell's book, An Empire for Slavery, is full of facts about Texas slavery. However, possibly, the reason that it wasn't included in this book is that Campbell may have been too easy on Texas. Let me give you an idea of the blood that ran from Texas history all the way through this book. And this is not an unusual section. I'm reading from page 503. Where, he, where uh, Gerald Horn points out that some of the African Americans during uh, Reconstruction did try to defend themselves. But retaliation was swift and deadly, Horn says. Bands of armed men, said the Freedmen's Bureau, quote, are raiding through the country, shooting at every freedman they meet. End quote, start quote. Freed people are suffering great injustice at the hands of the rebels, end quote. In Paris, Texas, said the Bureau, quote, many murders occur, end quote, and, quote, perpetrators go unmolested. Elsewhere in the book, it says that no white person was ever prosecuted for killing a black person during Reconstruction. About 30 miles away in Clarksville, the Ku Klux Klan was creating one outrage, outrage after another. In nearby Smith County, all within hailing distance of Dallas, Klansmen attacked and robbed the homes of the recently emancipated 
nearly every night for months. Elsewhere, it talks about the rape of black women, which also went unpunished, and the many, many, many murders committed sometimes just for the fun of it all the way through the period we know as Reconstruction. This may be the reason why the other histories of Texas barely mention Reconstruction. If you want to know anything about Reconstruction in Texas, you have to read a, a, a general book about Reconstruction and look for a few references to Texas because it's not in the Texas histories. Nowhere in any Dallas history have I ever seen a mention of what happened in Dallas for Reconstruction. I did find an obscure reference one time that said that the man who was appointed to lead the Freedmen's Bureau in Dallas never made it to Dallas. They murdered him in East Texas. So you will get some things from this book about Reconstruction. You'll get a lot about Mexico. You'll get a lot about Oklahoma, a lot about natives who were uh, living in Oklahoma, and of course the natives who were murdered or driven out of Texas. Uh, you'll find a little bit about the states uh, to the west that were taken away from Mexico in the Mexican War. You'll find a lot of history in this book, but it's not an easy read. I hope you'll try. This is Gene Lance on the Workers Beat Extra.